1863, at the age of 18, Charles Appleton Longfellow left his childhood home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He would fight in the war, receive a serious wound to the shoulder. That Later that same year, he was rushed home, and when his father first saw the doctor there with him, he said that the injury is quite bad. He, he very well may not make it. If he does, likely paralyzed uh, for life. And that December, as, as Christmas Day neared, Charles's father, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, sat in this space of profound dissonance. The promise of cheer on its way and, and the very stark realities of war and death. He wrote a poem that month called Christmas Bells. It, it begins, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Couple stanzas later, the tone shifts. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Bells singing forth the good news, drowned by the very weighty evils before Longfellow. Rejoice in the Lord, again I say, rejoice. Words that ring forth like a beautiful bell, but depending on how we arrive today, those words may be easily drowned by any number of things. Goodness, Paul himself, he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi from prison, as again, the church is itself experiencing internal and external challenges. Yet notice where Paul says to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul does not point our eyes towards the circumstances or, or the foreboding clouds on the horizon. Certainly, Paul's not avoiding them. But, but, but quite simply, rejoice, take joy, celebrate, not because of the circumstances or in spite of the circumstances, but quite frankly, because of who Jesus is in their midst, regardless, and who he promises to be, regardless. Rejoice in the Lord. Perhaps that's why many of us are here this morning. We could certainly be taking this time to address any number of challenges, issues, circumstances in our own lives, in, in this world. And yet, perhaps almost unconsciously, amid all of the cannons and noise and pains and frustrations, somewhere deep down we recognize our need to know a different centering amidst it all. A different locus of hope than ourselves. A recognition that we do need God. And thanks be to God that Paul declares in the heart of our passage in Philippians, the Lord is near. What is it we often sing so clearly and fully on Christmas Eve and we, we heard referenced in the moment with the children? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. come. Amen. Yeah. And then do you remember the next line? Let earth receive 
her king. And so another way to put it is, amid all the circumstances that inevitably weigh upon us in this weary world, perhaps we gather quite simply that we might receive the one who is already here to heal, to save, to make new. Oh, there is joy in that reception. How might we, as a people, know that we have received afresh the gift of Jesus and, 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 and this living hope? I mean, very practically, what, what does rejoicing in the Lord look like? I mean, what form does it take in terms of expressions? And, and I think there's a lot that could be said about this, but I, I want to underscore maybe a, a lesser appreciated aspect of, of one of the manifestations of, of joy. I recently heard on NPR a story of this woman named Stephanie, who in her young adult years joined this Alcoholics Anonymous group. And, and this, real, this group really did help get her sober after a, a handful of relapses in there as well. One of the more critical people in this group uh, for Stephanie was a woman named Kim. Kim, uh, that first day, gave her her number and said, you call anytime you need anything. And goodness, she called Kim. She called Kim for help with this or that or, or just a friend. And, and even on one occasion when Stephanie was amidst another relapse and, and really pretty low uh, about the idea of even living, she called Kim. And Kim was there in a matter of minutes and quite literally saved her life. Kim would go on to assist Stephanie on numerous fronts over the course of a couple years, helped with lodging and transportation on a couple instances, helped oversee Stephanie's finances a couple times when she was in treatment, and someone needed to make sure those bills were still getting paid, the rent was getting paid. Eventually, the rent wasn't able to be paid, and, and so goodness, she, she helped move all of Stephanie's stuff out of her apartment and into a, a storage for Stephanie while she was in treatment. Eventually, Stephanie is completely sober and, 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 uh, and no relapses, and she's over at Kim's apartment having dinner and goes, oh, wow, there's my couch, the one supposedly in storage. Uh, and Kim explains she thought she'd go ahead and use Stephanie's couch. It was a little bit nicer than her kind of old ratty one um, while, you know, she was away. Uh, Kim then serves up dinner, and Stephanie goes, oh, wow, these are my plates and silverware. Kim come cleans. It honestly, it just started to make more sense to use your stuff than pay that monthly bill for the, the storage. And strange, but but okay. So she goes home and checks her online bank account, where her her, her full twenty one thousand dollars of life savings is gone. Long story short, uh, she calls Kim Kim pretty quickly, and, and and Kim says she has to be somewhere. But we'll talk about all this soon. Uh, Kim becomes hard to track down, um, and, and eventually Stephanie calls the police, and, and, and Kim is, is arrested for identity theft and stealing. And, um, and in, the, in, the, in the months between the arrest and the trial, where, um, where Kim does write an apology to, to Stephanie, Stephanie reflects a lot on, um, on human nature. How is it that people can be so full of goodness and deception, such kindness, and also the ability to destroy you, such courage and weakness in the same person. What I didn't mention earlier is that 
the title of this particular podcast episode is Both Things Can Be True. How our minds grapple with contradictions, especially those we see in other people. Hmm. Well, on the courtroom date, Kim cannot look Stephanie in the eye the entirety of this time. The judge declares Kim is to repay all $21,000 and then looks over at Stephanie and asks, is there anything else for which you would like to be compensated? And Stephanie could readily, easily name the property things, the identity things, a number far beyond 21000 Listen as she describes what goes through her heart as she hears that question aloud. I felt a roar of anger and hurt about how this woman had treated me. And at the same time, that roar of anger was calmed by a feeling of utter peace. My, my heart just melted because had I had her life, I cannot say I would have acted differently. Had I been through the trauma she'd been through, I can't say that I wouldn't have treated people the same. In one moment, Stephanie feels herself experiencing all of the very real justifiable rage and also the strange experience of what it is to stand in Kim's place and feel all of the contradictions that she knows are true about herself, by the way, as well. And so finally, Stephanie speaks aloud from this place of, of at once deep anger and, and surprising empathy and says, Nothing else. I just hope she can find peace. It's so gentle. Perhaps confusingly so, maddeningly so. This, this really is your moment to lay it on thick and, and quite frankly teach a lesson. Let your gentleness be known to all. Paul declares right on the heels of his exhortation of, uh, to rejoice in the Lord always. Because one of the practical signs that we have received afresh, the gift of the Lord who has drawn near, one of the more practical ways, quite frankly, that we show forth joy, it is by way of surprising gentleness. It's a gentleness that echoes the gentleness Jesus has shown to us in all of our contradictions. The, the particular word for gentleness in the Greek, it, it's, it's kind of um, hard to translate in English, but has um, connotations of being magnanimous, uh, strongly related to what it means to show mercy. And, and honestly, this is hardly the only time the Apostle Paul zeroes in on this key word. He, he tells the church at Thessalonica about this previous visit that Paul had made to them, saying, hey, look, we could have been a burden to you. We could have come and laid it on pretty thick, some of the stuff that we needed to confront you about. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. To the church at Corinth and all of their mess and division, by meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I want to convince you not with force, but gentleness. To the Colossians, Paul declares, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. You guessed it. Gentleness and patience. Second Timothy. 
when addressing servant leaders and, 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 and teachers in, in, in the church. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient. And what about people who are against you and have wrong teachings and push back and, and are and correcting opponents with gentleness? I belabor the point because for many in our time, gentleness seems quite out of step, if not outright foolish. It sounds nice when caring for children, someone maybe who, who's quite elderly, but it, uh, caring for them, but it, it sounds like you're, you're really just being steamrolled when you're talking about real-world situations. You can't be gentle in the workplace Politics, social media, not when that side of the family's been doing that for that many years, not when th th this person's betraying your trust and stealing from you. Save all those scriptures for a different kind of day. And yet, what Stephanie goes on to recount as she looks back at that courtroom experience and the words she said aloud 10 years ago at this point I've been saved from wanting revenge. I've been saved from harboring bitterness for her and toward her. I have peace. For her, gentleness was strength. For, for these past 10 years, gentleness has guarded quite effectively against revenge and bitterness and the ravages they inevitably bring upon the soul and others. Gentleness as the way of strength. To be sure, I, I can't venture the precise things we should or should not do in any number of challenging situations before us, before our world, especially the ones involving difficult people and their actions or their inactions, their failings. What I know is this. We worship a crucified Savior who upon the cross looked at those doing violence to him those who betrayed him, those who had walked with him and now were silent, looked at all these people and all of their contradictions, proving themselves worthy of condemnation. And what does he declare? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We stand under the verdict of a fundamentally gentle word. A God who sees us for who we are, for where we've been, for where we are, for what we've done, for what we've not done. A God who sees us in every last measure of all of our contradictions. And the verdict, the verdict is love. Have you known this? Has someone in the body of God on earth ever shown that level of, of gentleness when all of your starkest contradictions have been laid bare? Oh, there is joy. If you have known that, embrace. And if we have known such gentleness ourselves, how can we not seek to give that same gift to others amidst all of their contradictions? How can we not be a people who somehow discern what it is to lead with mercy? How can we not be a people, even in the thorniest of situations and, and difficulties and peoples and wrongs. Even so, how can we not be a people who, who at least are, are, are wrestling mightily with what it is to make evident gentleness to all? 
What would it look like to show forth the joy of the Lord, the embrace we have known in the Lord, by leading with gentleness? Where might that posture play forth in our lives this day? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote one final stanza in his poem that moved from the Christmas bells to the the noise of cannons and hate and despair. And and he wrote this particular final stanza before he ever knew that his son Charles would actually live and, and miraculously even heal. The final stanza is this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. Can you imagine, amid the cannons of our day that fire regularly with hatred and vitriol, with pain, with wrong? Can you imagine amid the, the headlines of our day that, that often play so loudly, so incessantly, so painfully, they're pealed yet more loud and deep? Bells, and they were the church, showing forth still a deeper strength. Through of all things, gentleness, making their joy known through gentleness. Then, perhaps, it would not only be Scripture declaring the Lord is near this Advent season, but but the world around could join in and declare the Lord is indeed near Listen, listen to the bells. Amen.